They lose a lot of radish heat, and they get quite sweet. We're uh, kind of bummed not to have them this year. Here is Leroy Canfield from Canfield Farm in Damascus, Pennsylvania. You couldn't get the hay in when it was ready. There was so much rain, like every, every other day. And down here, it takes about three days for the hay to get ready to go in. Well, on the second day, it usually rained, or the third day, it doesn't make any difference. It was impossible to get that hay in. And that's why I put in hay first and second cutting all in the same shot, you know? And uh, other than that, the economy is such that everything costs so darn much more. I mean, you know, double and triple for some things, totally, that's, that's not unusual. That's order of the day. You don't get used to that because nothing changes on, on the income. So you have to improvise and, you know, do the best you can with what you got. It doesn't make any difference how you turn around. It's more. Everything is more. Agway is more, and, and, and uh, all of the grocery stores are more. And uh, sometimes you wonder why, but uh, there's always a reason for it. Fuel is more, too. Baylor twine is more. And then in the end, because of these hardships, the product that you make has less nutrient value. So that's a big change. Because usually when we do harvest the hay in a good year or a regular year that isn't so hard on us, we're producing a product that has much more nutrient value for the horses. Therefore, they need less supplemental items. And so buying the supplemental items costs more. So it's been hard in that respect, too. How did you deal with all of these problems, the weather and hay crop and horses? I stretch my vocabulary right to the limit. <laughs> it's very tiring when you go out to do a routine job and you come back with nothing because it rained every other day. Some of the hay that, that I'd normally put in was left there. It never got put in because if if it gets rained on, Two or three times, I mean, I, I was out there tedding the field and fluffing up the hay so to get the air underneath it. And, and, you know, I would say to myself, well, that's not too bad. Probably about tomorrow I'll be able to put that in. Well, you know that on that night it rained like hell, right back below zero, you know. So you got tired of that. And then there's the, the mental thing where you're trying your best to put the hay in for the horses but it's not working out too good. So then you say, if it's not working out for me, it's probably not working out for all the other farmers. Mm -hmm. So where the hell am I going to buy hay from mm -hmm. that would be reasonable? You know? And it, it, thank God we, we didn't have to cross that bridge. The other thing that's always on my mind is, is flooding of the river. And it's a big issue here because we're at the mercy of the dam, I'm watching that potential project that's going to be going on as much as I can because we would have to evacuate the horses, and I have had to evacuate during Hurricane Sandy. It's not fun because you never know when it's going to strike, and preparedness is, is really something you have to think about all the time.
what if, you know, it's always the what if this happens. What are you hearing from other farmers and folks that you serve? Were they impacted by the weather also? Yeah, uh, exactly. They were impacted, actually probably worse than I was, because a lot of them are dairy farmers, and uh, they can put in an easy 10,000 bales for for their herd. And uh, I'm not putting in that many at all. They make a living at it. I don't make a living on the horses that we have. But uh, these farmers, they they got, what, 40, 60, 80 cows. And uh, they got to get through the winter. They're at the same thing. A good thing that they have is uh, they have the round bale. They don't have to be as dry as a regular bale like I got. And they can put hay in that I, I wouldn't even dream of putting in because I don't want to lose my barn. Jennifer, have you talked to other horse farmers? Yes, I have. And I think we go back to the same issue. You know, it's the, the expense of the hay, if, if we can get good hay. Because horses' stomachs are different than cattle. Uh, they have a very small stomach, a very delicate digestion system. And they can't tolerate the product that cattle can. So the worry is that if you have to buy hay, you contract to buy a certain load, you don't know that the farmer that made the hay understood that there can't be any damp hay in it. Once a product is down, you know, horses don't have four stomachs to digest it. Once it's down, it's down, and they can't get rid of it. They'll fall prey to colic. Colic can be lethal. I think among the horse people, that's the biggest issue, is is how the hay was harvested. Once again, Bill Hess, Director of Orchard Facilities at Seminary Hill Orchard and Cidery in Calicoon, New York. It's a couple things. It's wet. We are wet, wet. And the tree's like about an inch of rain a week. We're in heavy soils here. We're, our soils don't drain like they do in the Finger Lakes or the Hudson Valley or even the Lake Ontario quarter, which is a huge apple growing. And that's a different soils. Well, describe your soils at clay. Yeah, it's a, basically a real heavy clay. You'll have a little bit of a lighter soil on top, a little topsoil on top. The two orchards here are a little bit different. The one up the road's got a really heavy clay, almost like when we plant It'd almost be like a clay pot. You'd be taking your uh, shovel and try to break the edges so the roots can can break out. Down here, it's a little bit different. On top, it's loose, but then it gets down. It's super compacted soil. Sullivan County wasn't ever known for its great soil. (laughs) (laughs) And and across the river, Pennsylvania has those big rocks, those Pennsylvania potatoes in that clay soil. We have no shortage of rocks either. (laughs) Once again, Stuart Madeney. Director of Cider Making. As Bill mentioned, the wet weather, we've had a lot of that lately, and that has been difficult, too. And 2021 was the wettest year since they started keeping weather data in this area. Lots of water in the apples, very little sunshine, low ripeness. Mother Nature presents a variety of challenges. Pretty unique year. The wet weather did not only impact the growing of vegetables or hay for livestock, it also impacted the purely business end of agribusiness. 
Brent Habig, owner of Two Creek Regenerative Farm in Lakewood, Pennsylvania, explains. And we have we have a rainy weekend. We lose half of our sales. We have very loyal regulars that come, but a lot of the foot traffic at the markets is less than half of what it would be on a sunny day. It's always easy to imagine farming challenges as production challenges, a crop failure or animals getting sick. And, you know, we do have some of that uh, unexpected sort of production issues. But in general, the production side of the farm is actually the easiest. It's the marketing, the sales, the profitability, the labor. That's kind of where some of the wild cards come in. We've had increased feed prices, and this is very labor-intensive work, and there's a lot of cost that comes into that. So finding that balance, finding those price points where the product is compelling, is accessible, and we're able to then make money, that's always sort of the key challenge <laughs> underneath this, uh, this business model. In that sense, we're very appreciative of all of the customers that decide to spend their food dollars in the local economy and, and by buying products from our farm. That's really the engine that, that drives it all. The production side this season was pretty smooth. The weather was one way in June, and by August it was another. It was either drought or drowning. How did you manage all that? Yeah, this was a very dry spring, and that really slowed the growth of our pastures. Our veg gardens are irrigated, so you know we were able to just use water uh, for that. But obviously our pastures are not irrigated, so we lost a lot of early season growth. We had to rotate those animals a lot more than we otherwise would have needed to just so that they would have enough to eat. So we had a massive adaptation there. Um, but fortunately, as we were hitting July, you know, we got rain and I think the rain caught up. So I think we had over the, over the arc of the season, really good forage production and grazing throughout the season. I actually think last year at this time was worse because we had that fall drought. So we kind of lost the whole tail end of our grazing. All our animals were on hay in early October, and now we're just transitioning them onto hay now this year in, in early November. So, um, yeah, I think we sort of caught up for that. We had, you know, again, on the marketing side, we had rainy weekends. So we had a huge sort of revenue hit due to weekend after weekend of rainy weather in September into October. Again, it's surprising, you know, you would think the rain would be a problem on the production side, or we didn't have any issues with water logging our potatoes or carrots. The way our beds were set up, I think, allowed them to be more resilient. So we didn't have those water logging issues for us. It was really just the hit on foot traffic at the market. That was Brent Habig from Two Creek Regenerative Farm in Lakewood, Pennsylvania. Again, Kaylin Jocelyn from Lucky Dog Organic Farm in Hamden, New York. That rainy weather showed itself in the city during our market weekends. For about eight weeks in a row, we were going and setting up and selling in the rain, which has an impact on you know customer turnout and which impacts our bottom line through those busy months where we're trying to make as much as we can. 
what was more challenging with those heavy rains is when we had the thunderstorms with hail. Once again, Eugene Tholman. I remember I was in my steel building and there was marble size hail dropping out of the sky. And I'm sitting there just with my heart pounding because the high tunnel in the back only has one layer of film. And this was like late July before maximum fruiting production really ensued, meaning that if those hail had went through the high tunnel, I'd be out a few thousand dollars to replace the skin. That's materials, labor, and cleanup. And then on top of that, there's about $10,000 of, of fruits, fruiting crop inside the high tunnel. Um, and, you know, you couldn't, I was trapped in the steel building. Like you could not walk outside. So I remember just sitting there and just with my heart pounding, I took my van after the hail stopped and I actually grabbed a cup of the angry ice to make myself a drink after I knew everything was all right. So you had a kind of a drink to celebrate? Yeah. And I called it angry ice because that was an angry storm that day. Sonia Hedlund and Dick Reisling have been operating Apple Pond Farm and Renewable Energy Education Center in Calicoon Center, New York. Unpredictable weather took a truly destructive toll on the solar and wind-powered farm this year. We have been running Apple Pond Farm and Renewable Energy Education Center for close to 50 years, growing each year, expanding from training horses uh, to uh, building wind turbines and focusing on renewable energy and also inviting young farmers to learn farming skills here. We've been open to the public. We probably have 30,000, 40,000 people who visited us over the years, and it's been a wonderful time. I'm very happy we've done it, but this last year, weather, what it was, totally everything has changed. Well, tell us, Sonia, how did the weather impact you this year, 2023? On Earth Day, which was in April, at about six at night, there was a warning on our cell phone. There's a tornado coming and go to a, a low place. So we did that. And we had hardly been there for not even five minutes. And it came and went. Was what all I remember in a darkened basement. And then... We realized we had no electricity, that for no water. Um, we tried to open the front door. We couldn't open the front door. We couldn't open the basement door because they were completely barricaded by trees that had been cut down like a chainsaw over our whole front of our property. 500 trees completely demolished and pushed up the driveway. So that night... The volunteer firemen came and they cut away so at least we could get out if there was an emergency. NYSEG was there and Spectrum was there. And by the next morning when we could see, we were speechless to see. I never could see my neighbors from my house. I could never see a light across the way because there were so many trees on either side of the driveway. But all of that was gone. I mean... It was stunning. So from April until now, almost nine months, all I've done and all Dick and I have done is cope with the tornado. And the response of people to help us has been absolutely overwhelming. And we will always be grateful. Was this year different from other years? Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, and there's no turning back. The farm has totally changed forever. Um, the barn, which was built in 18, 1890s, a really well-built, all-hand hewn beams, with the advice of the local barn restorers, we restored the barn. We uh, fixed the garage. Our wind turbine, 120 wind turbine, had been up for 20 years and had recently been refurbished, um, destroyed. Um, every shed was gone. That was nine sheds for horses. Every fence was down. Um, yeah, things were thrown for hundreds of feet all over the place. You'd find uh, carts and wheels, you know, that were near the road. Then they were way back by the barn. And it just took a long time, but people were wonderful. The very next day, people came to bring their good wishes and the Red Cross. Someone... um Early bird cookery, I do think it was, developed a, a food train. I never thought of that. You, you know, I had no water, no electricity. We got, we did get a generator going. And for about 30 days, I think it was 30 households delivered food to us. We told them if we were vegan or vegetarian or whatever, and they brought meals that would last for maybe two days. It was wonderful. People came and helped cutting down trees, and, uh, you know, it was just amazing. We learned a lot about insurance. People need to do a little more preparation and scrutiny of their insurance policy. I don't think often the agent really digs deeply enough. We didn't realize that cleanup is, of uh, after an event, it can be a very small item in your policy. I think ours was $10,000. Well, when we had a lumberman come and begin to cut down trees, he wanted cash, $2,000 for one day's work. There was no way that the policy was going to come near to helping us clean up anything. Um, it just wasn't not enough money. We never thought we should think more about cleanup and fences. We didn't think about that. Farm Service Agency helped us and would try to figure out ways to do some preservation of the land. And we decided not to burn. Burning's quick. Burning is not good. We made chips. It just adds too much pollution to the air. So I have enough wood chips and shavings to last for a long time. Um, the animals, we had sheep and goats, and they were all over the place. And we mather, they didn't go away, but they were just running around, and we got them into shelter. And nobody died. Nobody had it, an accident that I know of, but our spirits were really battered in a very, the way any kind of trauma, whether you've had a flood or a fire, it really does something to your inner core of your thinking about your life. So now Dick and I are trying to figure out what will be the next chapter because we think there is a place for a farm open to the public with programs to teach citizens about climate change and agriculture and um, eating real food and having a garden, raising some chickens. We think there's a place for that in this neighborhood which is becoming gradually more and more gentrified. And I think we must be aware of what's happening to our little towns. We had put the farm into an agricultural easement 
some years ago through the Delaware Highlands Conservancy. We didn't want the 80 acres to be developed. Usually the pattern is someone buys a big farm and they make parcels out of it and they sell each one for 10, you know, 10 acres they could sell for $30,000, $40,000. And we made it certain that our farm will never be developed that way. But that may be a deterrent to selling the farm because people might think, well, you know, we really want to, we don't want 80 acres. We just want a beautiful house. And so we're looking for those kind of people or that kind of agency that would want to keep a public open farm here because there's, I don't think there's anything quite like it here. So for the right group of people, I think Apple Pond Farm could have another life. And that's kind of what I'm hoping. You speak with so much passion. Is there anything else you'd like the audience to know about your experience? One of my takeaways was, if not now, when? I'm now an old woman, and the idea of postponing things really has to be looked at. Um, If not now, when are you going to do that? And if you're not... You've had a dream that you really want to pursue, try to do it um, and try to find other people to work with you. Somehow participating in the this neighborhood where I have now been living for 50 years, you know, I can't imagine moving anyplace else. Being on a farm and engaging in what nature has to offer can be a wonderful life. Um, so I, I've got to be optimistic about it. But when something like this happens, you're just never going to be the same. No. That was Sonia Hedlund from Apple Pond Farm and Renewable Energy Education Center in Calicoon Center, New York. We've been listening to local farmers talk about the difficult time they had with unpredictable and challenging weather this year. But as hard as this year was, none of the farmers that we talked to sounded defeated. No, in fact, they're more resilient than ever, and they want you to know it. Here is Stuart Madney of Seminary Hill Orchard and Cidery. I'm incredibly interested and intent on developing the varieties that best match our area and then developing the products that really express their qualities. And that just has to pause when we have a year like this. Once again, Bill Hess, Director of Orchard Facilities at Seminary Hill Orchard and Cidery in Calicoon, New York. We really thought we were past the danger point. This year is like, oh, thank God they're not in blossom in the the ironic thing is the trees we have in blossom had fruit. The trees were past blossom is what lost their fruit, which I've never seen that before. Do you attribute that to climate change as they blossomed early? Yeah, it's definitely changing. It's more erratic, I would guess, but you're always going to be in some kind of flux. If you look back and even down the decades in the Democrat, you'll read sometimes there 100 years ago, the cider makers rejoiced good apple year. So, you know, even 100 years ago, it, was, it wasn't a sure thing. Eugene Thalman. For the last few years, being a younger farmer in the community, I would ask some older farmers and people a little older than me, like, what do you think the weather's going to be like? 
They always would chuckle, Eugene, your crystal ball is probably not accurate. You're just going to have to deal with the weather, how it comes. And as time has gone on and I've developed more skills and more competencies and the ability to handle challenges, I don't even really consider too much of where the weather is. I mean, I'll look 10 days out and plan accordingly. And this year you just have practices and skills to ensure that whatever the weather is, you handle it and hopefully you come out ahead instead of behind. You know, that that seems to counterbalance the sort of dire slash negative connotations of our overall theme here, you know, of, of, wow, this is a really hard year. Let's talk about how hard it was. It's almost like you're saying like, yeah, it was hard, but it's always hard. You kind of got to deal with it. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, like no matter what happens is just challenges every which way. I mean, the unpredictability of like the large scale, like those wildfires or the drought in May, like those are things that are very challenging, but that gives you the experience and the know-how and hopefully the ability to set up infrastructure to then mitigate those challenges overall. So when we really look at this is, you know, we should be utilizing these challenges that we're experiencing, these hardships to help ourselves personally grow and grow as a society at large. Kaylin Jocelyn. Having that frost and then having a lot of the rain did diminish what we brought in this year on our blueberries. But we still had enough to go ahead and put some in the freezer, and that's what you can see on the table right here. So we didn't lose everything, which is better than losing everything. So, Well, your name is Lucky Dog, isn't it? Is that why? Yeah, for more reasons than that, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like the non-farming folks to know? Well, I guess every every occupation has its ups and downs, so I don't know what the, the non-farming people, they probably have all their problems too. And I don't know what those problems are, and with any amount of luck, thanks to you, uh, maybe they will find out what it's like in the country if you're a farmer what kind of problems you run into. And some of them you can kind of skirt and bypass, and some of them are just hit you between the eyes. Anything you're going to do about it. Yeah, everybody has their problems, be it New York City or be it Damascus, you know. Well, in my opinion, <laughs> I'm from the city. I grew up in the city, and uh, all I ever wanted to do was live in the country. I was lucky that my father had the same opinion, so we we moved here when I graduated from high school, but we were here all the years before just coming on weekends. So I know both ends of it, and uh, what I would like city people to know is that you're really blessed if you can lead this life. In spite of the hardship, you get over the hardship because it's so much fun to wake up in the morning and see the daybreak hear the birds and and see the sunsets and the sunrises and the stars at night. I, I just can't say enough about it. Hear the water running along the stream. Look out and see the animals. If If you're interested in raising animals, it's a wonderful life because they give you plenty of reward themselves. I know my horses do, and so I would wish that for anybody. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with Radio Catskill. Is there anything else you'd like to add to this conversation before we close? 
I'd like to thank Farm and Country for being there every week. <laughs> I listen in the barn. <laughs> thank you, Rosie. You've been listening to Hard Harvest, a special presentation from Radio Catskill. Thank you to everyone who participated by sharing their stories with us. And thanks to farmers everywhere. They are the most resilient and knowledgeable people on the planet. And thank you for listening. I'm Jason Dole, host of the Local Edition. And I'm Rosie Starr, host of Farm and Country. Join us next Saturday at 10 a.m. as we begin the new year on Farm and Country. And remember to join Patricio and I on the Local Edition every weekday evening at 6, right here on Radio Catskill. Listen local. Support comes from One Grand Books on Pleasant Street in Livingston Manor, where every book is selected by celebrated readers from Gloria Steinem and Tom Hanks to John Irving and Natalie Portman. Holiday shopping for all bookworms available Fridays 12 to 4, Saturdays 11 to 5, and Sundays 11 to 4, and online at onegrandbooks.com. And from listeners like you who donate at wjffradio.org. Where would you like to celebrate New Year's? In Marciac, France, San Francisco, or New York City? We have you covered with special performances by singer Liz Wright, steel pianist Jonathan Scales, and pianist Hiromi on Toast of the Nation. I'm Christian McBride. Starting at 8 tomorrow night, New Year's Eve. Happy New Year from all of us at Radio Catskill. You never know what will spark your curiosity, but your gift today will assure that Radio Catskill will be able to tell you all about it in the new year and beyond. Please donate now at WJFFradio.org. Thank you.